the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. So recently, the idea of a data dividend has gotten new attention because California Governor Gavin Newsom supported it in his first State of the State address. Specifically, he said, and I quote, California's consumers should be able to share it in the wealth that is created from their data. And so I've asked my team to develop a proposal for a new data dividend for Californians because we recognize that your data has value and it belongs to you. So we thought it would be interesting to really dig into what it actually means to have a data dividend. And to do that, I had a chance to talk with someone who's actually done quite a bit of work on the topic. That is Professor Chris Benner at UC Santa Cruz. Beyond a professor, he is also the chair of the Everett program there and is the director of the Santa Cruz Institute for Social Transformation. So here is Jim's conversation with Chris Benner on the Basic Income Podcast. Chris, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. So to start out with, can you just generally describe what does it mean when someone says data dividend? The basic notion is that companies are generating revenue based on data that's provided by customers and users of their platforms or their services. Uh, and we, as customers and users of those platforms or services, um, are not paid for that data. Uh, so essentially, companies are, are making a revenue or a profit um, from data provided by us. Uh, and a data dividend is a notion that we should be paid for providing that value to companies. So effectively, we're talking about, in a form, profit sharing. This isn't like a tax. This is rather just we're, we're sharing and the benefits that come out of this. Well, there's a conceptual question and then a practical question of how that actually gets implemented. Conceptually, um, it either can be thought of as a payment for service, like we provide a service of people being able, companies being able to use our data, and we should be paid for that. You might uh, be able to make that happen in practice through sort of micropayments for every time some data is captured of something that you do. Um, the other way you conceptualize it is that it's creating value in the company, creating wealth, uh, and that we could benefit from that as you know, users and providers of the data uh, through a dividend. Um, so it's an ownership stake, uh, and at the end of the year, you know, some dividend gets shared with all the people who provided data to that enterprise. So that brings up an interesting point, which is, that if you're thinking about this data being worth something and, and that there should be some form of compensation, we can either think about compensation at the individual level where you're getting money for your data or more collectively where we say that our, our data as a society of some scale is creating value and therefore we should all receive compensation. Can you talk a bit about how those dynamics might play out here? Yeah, I think actually both conceptually and practically, it's nearly impossible to think about individuals being paid for their data. Um, and I think we should really be thinking about it much more as a collective contribution to the value of, of enterprises. And part of that is because data has no inherent value in and of itself. You know, a piece of data I provide by liking something on Facebook or um, watching a video on YouTube only has value when it's added to a whole set of other data and then processed through some kind of algorithm or perhaps something more sophisticated of a machine learning process to provide insights 
to companies in terms of how they can improve their product or provide customized ads or services to, to other people. And so if you're talking about an individualized process, it becomes very difficult to figure out, well, how much should that be valued? But if you think of it as we're all collectively contributing to the value of these companies, and you know, as you mentioned, it can be thought of as an ownership stake or some kind of stake in the, in the asset value of the companies that are created, um, then it can be considered a collective contribution to wealth creation in the economy in which we should all share in some way from, from that dividend. Now, when we talk about data dividend, I think there is, there's a lot to explore just on the data side itself. But it does seem like with where the economy is moving and, and where value is coming from, that perhaps thinking about more than just the data and also, as you say, the systems using the data, that so much value is coming from that. And so it, it kind of expands beyond data into perhaps tech broadly. Is that an area where you see there potentially being an expanded model working here? Yeah, I actually think there's tremendous potential for an expanded model of, of what I think of as a, as a technology dividend. And, and par- you can get to that point, I, I think, from a couple of different ways. One way is to think about, well, say you just wanted to start with data. Where do you draw the line of what data is valuable or not? People often talk about you know, social media-based data, Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn in some ways. Um, but you know, essentially, all internet-based businesses are capturing and using data in some way or another. Uh, all of us who use cell phones, uh, there's data being captured on both our use of the cell phone, but also just walking around or driving around with our cell phone. Our, our GPS signal is sending data to the telecoms company that is being monetized in, in different ways. Every time we use a credit card, every time we use a bank, every time we do any kind of financial transaction, that's data that's being created. Um, and increasingly with smart speakers in our homes, even just talking in our homes is adding data. Um, email, uh, you know, Google is busy tracking all of the data we use in our email. If you have a Gmail account or even if Yahoo or whatever your email source is. So, you know, if you're getting to the point of saying that any electronic transaction uh, has some kind of data associated with it, you're already talking about nearly all of the economy in some way. But I think the other way to look at it is to think about the collective value that's created in the economy through technology. Uh, you know, the technology we use today, whatever that technology is, is based on, um, you know, literally hundreds of years, if not thousands, of scientific development that in some way is collectively inherited, uh, and that in many ways has very significant public sector investment in it. An economist in, in London, School of Economics, Mariana Mazzucato, who's really been the pioneer in looking at this public sector investment and thinking about it as very early stage cap, uh, venture capital investment. So if you look at the iPhone, uh, nearly every technology in the iPhone, whether it's the integrated circuit or the touchscreen glass or the Siri voice recognition system, the battery, the GPS uh, location system, all of that has major public sector investment in the very, very early stages of the technology development. 
you know, if you're a venture capitalist and you're making that kind of early stage uh, investment in technology development, you take an equity stake in the firm you're investing in because it's highly risky and you expect to get that return. But as the public sector, we do not take an equity stake in those firms that are using technologies that were developed in part on public sector investment. And that's a problem because we don't tax wealth in this society. And so the returns to society come about only through to the extent we tax income from companies or, or individuals. And so we're not seeing sufficient returns for the kind of risk of that early stage uh, investment. And so we're underinvesting in innovation and the returns for that investment are being captured by a relatively small minority of uh, investors and uh, owners of those enterprises. I think that makes perfect sense seeing this mismatch in, in our system that we're not getting, as a society, collectively compensated. So then that brings us to what is perhaps the most challenging question, which is how do you actually make this work in practice? And it seems particularly relevant given that Governor Newsom brought up data dividend in his, in his state of the state speech. So I, I'm curious, do you have a sense for if California is going to pursue a, a data or tech dividend, what might that actually look like in practice? Well, I think there's two sides of how to practically make it work. Um, the one side is what would be the form of the fund uh, that might get uh, you know, financed in some way or created in some way, and how could that be distributed? And there's lots of models for that. And you know, the Alaska Permanent Fund is the fund um, in the U.S., but there's also globally many sovereign wealth funds. And you know, essentially, what that's doing is creating a, a mutual fund that's investing in companies across the economy, uh, and that the population essentially has an equity stake in the form of an annual dividend payment that's paid to people. Um, so that's easy to do. The question is, well, how would you fund that uh, sovereign wealth fund in a way that, that makes sense? And, and I think there's lots of ideas about how it could be funded. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road of, of the work that has to be done of in California, what's the best way of, of funding it. The Alaska Permanent Fund is somewhat easy because it's uh, oil coming out of the ground in Alaska. And if we were going to do this at just a California level rather than a national level, um, you'd have to somehow think about, well, how could you look at the value that is created from companies that are headquartered in California, that have significant investments in California, that are depending to a certain amount on uh, the scientific and technology development that's generated by universities in California. Yeah, I think one of the key things that would happen in, in any way you fund it is that uh, the initial payments of a dividend might start out relatively small if you're funding it out of ongoing uh, enterprises or ongoing operations. Uh, and then that would accumulate over time. You know, it might only be dozens of dollars a year. It could grow to, you know, thousands perhaps over time. The Alaska Permanent Fund is over $2,000 per person at the moment. But, you know, you could also do a one-time wealth tax, for instance, perhaps based on the market capitalization of uh, companies based in California and essentially say they've gotten a windfall 
uh, wealth accumulation from the last 30 to 40 years of the development of, of the internet and then really driven the inequality that we're experiencing so much today. Uh, and so you could fund it from just a one-time wealth tax in, in that way. Uh, you know, I think there are very real economic questions about the best ways of funding such a policy, and that's where the discussions have to kind of meet the road now. But I think the major challenge is going to be the political challenge, and is there the political will to recognize, uh, I think, what's a, a pretty strong economic argument about the collective contribution to value creation in our economy and the ways that rewarding people for that would actually provide incentives for greater innovation as well as deal with some of our, our striking inequality. Well, we'll see after Governor Newsom's inclusion in the state of the state whether this can actually start to build some political momentum and, and maybe get over some of those challenges. Well, and I think people are, are talking about it now, in part because he raised it to that level of visibility in his state of the state speech. You know, it's in, in the media now in ways that it hasn't been previously. Um, you know, we have a actually a, a candidate for president, Andrew Yang, who's been campaigning on a freedom dividend, he calls it, uh, although in his structure, it's much more of a universal basic income uh, structure. Um, but I, I think we're beginning to get some national attention to this. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren's idea of a wealth tax um, begins to get it at some of these issues as well. You know, I think it's important for us to be talking about in this context of, you know, not just income inequality, but really wealth, because a lot of the inequality is, is driven by asset ownership and a lot of the value that's created by data and technology uh, is in the form of the value of the companies that are benefiting from that. So as you just alluded to, uh, there is a connection here, or a potential connection between a data dividend and, and full universal basic income. I'm curious, do you have thoughts on how you see those things relating? Uh, well, as you say, I think they're they're related. Uh, you know, a, a technology dividend um, in the way that I think is most likely to be possible would be a universal dividend. Um, so in that sense, it has a lot of similarities to a universal basic income. Um, it is uh, not necessarily a basic income in the sense that uh, a dividend, you know, could start off, as I mentioned, of a you know tens of dollars a year or, or even less maybe, and would build up over time. Um, so I think in no way should it be seen as a substitute for uh, a basic income. I find it a valuable thing to to think about and pursue. Um, in part because maybe it's a lower uh, barriers to entry uh, than a universal basic income. Uh, you know, you can fund it in, in small ways without getting into all the debates about, um, you know, should a universal basic income substitute for certain social welfare programs or not? And can we afford it? And what's a real estimate of, of the cost of that? Um, and I, I like the way that it is understood and framed as a benefit that we should all get from the contributions that we make to creating value um, in, in the economy. And so for the last couple of years, really, I've been spending more time thinking about a technology dividend um, rather than a universal basic income, although I do think a universal basic income, if structured right, um, could be very bene beneficial uh, as well for a whole variety of, of different reasons. Um, so I, I don't think they're substitutes for each other, um, but I, I think there is some potential of getting a dividend policy 
passed um, sooner. Uh, and that could pave the way for a recognition of a sort of universal income, or universal basic income in some other form as well. Right. And it's, it seems like you do inherent to this is, is more of a, a built-in motivation for the universality question. So perhaps you, you don't run up against some of those challenges around the deservedness question as to who is who's getting support with cash and who's not. Right. I, I think that's right. Um, you know, I, I think there is some question in a dividend program, you know, universal basic income would be presumably structured in such a way that those with upper incomes would have more of the basic income captured back to an income tax. And you could do that with a dividend as, as well. I mean, it may not be as progressive as a, as a UBI. Um, so, I, you know, I think there are some questions about it. But I, I do think it's it's more likely to get passed. And, and I think it resonates more with a broader public because many people, you know, particularly when recognizing the way their data is being monetized by companies, get it. You know, you understand that companies are making money off of us without paying us for it. And a dividend could be a way of, of us getting paid appropriately for the value we add to the economy. So that was Chris Benner with Jim Pugh on the Basic Income Podcast. I think the idea of framing this as a venture capital kind of thing makes a lot of sense and that the public has invested in the infrastructure and the technology that have allowed for all this profiting off data. And it makes sense that maybe we'd get a a cut of the profits here. I absolutely agree. And I honestly think this could be one of the most powerful narratives that could help drive a conversation around universal basic income. Because if we can actually pull people out of, of their extreme individualism headspace, that has become so common now and actually get people to think a bit more about what have we done collectively and how much of the success that we see and the economic growth that we see isn't the result of, of one person or, or one small group of people doing something, but rather it is something that we have all contributed to to some degree. Suddenly the argument for having some sort of, whether it's a data dividend or a broader profit sharing something that allows us to all partake in, in the wealth that's being created. I think then saying, so one, like universality is very directly answered through that because yes, it belongs to all of us, we should all get a piece. Um, and two, that's why you're getting it. You no longer talk about like, oh, you're getting something for nothing. This is actually a reason why you're getting money. Yeah, and I feel like there is this unique opportunity with modern tech companies that doesn't it doesn't make sense at least politically, to say, you know, the America invested a lot in the automotive industry, so we should get a cut of car sales or anything like that. I feel like, one, they're, they're new. These tech companies are new, and we don't have this feel for them as this American institution the same way something like the automotive industry might. But also, we are aware that we are just giving up all this data everywhere we go, everything we do. And I think most people aren't too creeped out by it, but they they feel like, maybe something, they should be getting something back, or that it makes sense that, you know, I'm giving you something, you you give me something back. And so the idea of this sort of passive income almost that you get from tech companies, I feel, is is not a heavy political lift. And there isn't this entrenched American feel that we're stealing from the tech companies. And let's be real, I'm sure a big part of this is also due to the fact that the tech space broadly has had a lot of negative PR issues that, that have been very prominent, I would say, particularly since the 2016 elections. And I think people are much more inclined to feel like they then deserve something 
when you see when you perceive these players as as more bad actors than has been true in the past. I think the other the other thing that stood out for me in the conversation, and and we did I did talk about this with Chris, but is where where do you draw the line on data? What counts as data? Because in a broad sense, that could really be anything. I mean, particularly if you extend it into the intellectual property realm and talk about things like patents and ownership over approaches, suddenly just about every aspect of our economy could be considered data in some form or another. And so it, it seems to me there is there are some sticky questions here around both what's just, what's a reasonable thing for us to be compensated for, um, but also logistical feasibility as to like where do you draw these lines and how does that actually translate into being able to take a share of, of profit from some entity in some way. Yeah, that's really one element of this where I think if we ever enact a data dividend, I'm just going to have to trust the people who know more about this stuff than I do to find a good line to draw and a line that doesn't just incentivize companies to do something similar that gets around that line. Because, yeah, it is. I think it is something where we're going to have to draw a line that's kind of arbitrary, but hopefully one that tech companies have to cross <laughs> to, to continue doing business um, and not cross you know, political borders just to get away from them. So we'll see. But yeah, I do have a lot of questions about that, and I, I don't feel like I'm anywhere near qualified to, to venture any answers. The other thing I found interesting that he said was that he sees this as separate from the idea of basic income, that they don't substitute for one another. And I would say that, you know, I don't expect a data dividend to get anywhere close to uh, funding a basic income. But my interest in the data dividend is largely just that it would move us toward a basic income, that it would be a universal dividend, and less so around the... I guess, the equity or the, the fairness of these companies collecting our data and then profiting off it. Certainly, I see a rationale there. But the, the reason I'm interested is because universal basic income. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there, it seems clear to me that there is a, a very strong connection that can be made here. And I, I think the same thing that makes it challenging from a policy perspective to design, which is where do you draw the line is what counts as data, I think if we were to enact a data dividend, actually makes it then easier to push in the direction of basic income because you can say, okay, we're going to shift that line a bit now that this other form of data is now being included here and, and we're going to figure out how we can all partake in, in some degree of the profit being generated from that. And that's something you can keep going and going and going on until you get to a point where we actually are, the amount that we're getting is, is eventually a basic income. And so I, I, I see this as, as being something that I think could, well, obviously in its initial form is, is not going to be a basic income, could have a extremely natural progression to eventually get there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think any universal dividend is a great start. And also you have this sense of we have this public resource that is being privately profited off of. And then we have natural resources. We have land. We have other things that we can throw into that pile and grow the dividend more and more. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davison. And if you like our podcast, please do make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen. We are always looking for new listeners and to get the word out about this. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.